You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning, Glenn. How are you? Doing okay, I suppose. Glenn Lowry here with John McWhorter. This is the Glenn Show at bloggingheads.tv and at patreon.com forward slash Glenn Show. We're the black guys at Blogging Heads, and we're back. Uh, so I'm doing okay, John, doing okay. As you know, I came down with COVID. Can't believe it. And I'm so glad that now it's at the point where you can say that and be here talking to me and and ambulatory and just what a year it's been. But how do you feel? Uh, knock on wood, doing okay. My wife and I both tested positive. Um, we... Uh, we get a massage on a weekly basis with a guy, terrifically talented massage therapist. Uh, and uh, I think both of us uh, came into contact with him. He subsequently came down with the, uh, with the disease. And I think that's where we might have come into contact with the virus, even though we're careful. And we could have canceled the massage, you know, even though it's allowed by the state's no, no, uh, protocols. No. But, no, there are risk. Uh, no, you have to decide what, is an acceptable level of risk. And yeah, things are going to happen. It's time to start living again. Yeah. No, you're not going to cancel your massage. No. That was my thinking, man. I mean, I was like, you know, I could go into a cocoon. I could uh, not go to my gym. I could not go to my massage therapist. I I could like uh, just hunker down. And I know people who are doing that, you know, who are not doing anything, you know, who are having the groceries delivered to their home and left on the front doorstep and stuff like that. And I just decided that that was too cloistered of a way of living. Uh, so, you know, the consequence of that in our case is uh, we got, you know, luck of the draw. And here we are. But you're right. Uh, it's not what it used to be in the sense of uh, there are uh, therapies, this uh, Regeneron monoclonal antibodies infusion cocktail. Mm-hmm. Where they have these two uh, drugs that they in, uh, infuse you with. And uh, if caught early enough within the first week or 10 days after the onset, uh, the track record is pretty good. It's an experimental therapy. You have to get a emergency utilization authorization issued by the Food and Drug Administration for them to administer this to you. It's the same treatment that apparently Trump and Giuliani and company uh, avail themselves of. And again, without tempting fate, I want to say that um, our our cases here, Lawan, my lovely wife, and I are are relatively mild. Uh, I have a persistent cough, but that's pretty much it. My energy level is not super low. It's not super high either, but it's not, you know, I'm not on my back. Um, and uh, I don't have the, you know, uh, labored breathing or anything like that. The cough is mildly productive. I feel the, you know, the mucus moving around a little bit, which I'm told is a very good sign. And the guy that's treating us here is a Brown Medical School faculty uh, uh, infectious disease uh, specialist, a wonderful doc, who's actually been a guest in the past on the Glenn Show, Jody Rich, Mm. early in the pandemic. You know, he was treating patients, this is a year ago, and people were dying, you know, under his care, because, you know, when you go on the ventilator, you don't come off the ventilator kind of thing. Uh, so I had him on to talk about what, you know, what that was like on the front lines of medical care to COVID infected people. This is a year ago. 
um, he's, he's, uh, he tells me that if you're going to go south within, you know, 10 days to two weeks after the onset of symptoms is when we'd start to see people going south. So that's roughly where we are right now, two weeks after onset of uh, the infection. And again, I'm knocking on wood over here, inshallah, as they say, God willing, uh, we are not going to go south. So, you know, I present myself to you and to our to our audience uh, so that I can testify to being alive and kicking. Uh, you know, we're still the woke busters over here at the Glenn Show. <laughs> you know, it's with this disease, it's the, it's the funniest thing. I haven't had even a scratchy throat in a year, which is rare. Like, it's so weird that, one, there's been this horrible thing, but then also, for some reason, it also makes it less likely that you get other things. And, you know, for many people I've talked to who have said, you know, that haven't gotten COVID, been lucky, and haven't been sick either. And I tend towards asthmatic bronchitis. Not a touch for a year. It's the weirdest, most arbitrary thing, but I'm so glad that you two are okay. Well, may your good fortune continue. You know, it's actually, um, we can get to race in a second, but I've been moved by three stories I've now read in a, in a row in the national media, gently suggesting that in many parts of the country, the mask mandate needs to be relaxed. Uh, Walking around outside with the mask on is becoming more of a kind of gesture of solidarity and enlightenment than anything that's medically necessary. And, um, yeah, I feel guilty about how good those articles make me feel. I am so deathly tired of walking down streets by myself and having to have that thing on. And it's interesting with some of the conversations that we have. I must admit that it's been clear to me for about a month, depending on where you live, that the mask a statement that it's less about whether you're going to make anyone sick or get sick yourself than to show that you're part of the community that understands the danger and also that you don't like Donald Trump. And I understand that, but it's at the point as the weather starts getting warmer that I'm becoming a person that I think many people will disapprove of in that I am champing at the bit to walk outside without that goddamn thing on. Now, yes, if it's a crowd, Sure. You know, if it's the 4th of July gathering inside, yes, more, have it in your pocket. But this thing that whenever you step outside your front door, you have to have that damn thing on. I am beginning to feel that it's becoming kind of like a lot of the stuff that we talk about, where it's the, the way you show you're a good person and it's losing connection with reality. It's kind of like being highly woke about race. And this, to me, not a forced comparison. It's beginning to hit me in the same center of my brain. I'm thinking, well, I'm wearing this, given what I'm going to do, which is walk two blocks all by myself and not be near anybody. And why am I looking at all these other people with this thing on, where I get the feeling most of us have it on, where I am in this setting, in this state, because we know that if we take it off, we're going to get dirty looks. And how long is this going to go on? Because Bless you. It's starting to feel to me like insisting that a right died because he was black rather than because an officer made a grievous mistake. You're it's on a beginning roll here, to, John. Excuse and me I, I swear I'm beginning to think of these as, as all the same thing. I want you to move on, but I just have to make a small comment about the about the masking thing. I mean, I think the following point is correct. 
although I don't know that it will be popular, which is there's a vaccine available that's pretty highly effective. You can take it or not. That's your call. I hope you take it. It would be good for all of us if everybody took it, but I understand people are not going to take it. However, if you take it, you're protected from the virus. Therefore, no no one should be required to wear a mask because wearing a mask prevents you from inflicting the virus on other people, but other people can protect themselves. If they elect not to protect themselves, then they elect to take the risk of not protecting themselves. Why should the prophylactic of mask wearing be imposed upon others uh, in virtue of the fact that you have elected not to protect yourself from this virus? It was your call. You made it. You know, so I would agree. I want to add that to the mix. All right. So I tell you, right. I saw you had a sub stack, John. I did. And um, I was more vigorous in that sub stack than I usually am in saying a very simple thing. The idea that to be black is to need to walk around in fear of being killed by the cops is a myth. The data makes it clear that black people do not need to walk around afraid that the cops are going to kill them because of subtle racism. The data doesn't support it. And yet here we are in yet another news cycle where a hideous thing has happened to a black person. And it's the kind of thing that has happened to white people too, but we never hear about it. it happens to a black national news. People are protesting. People are breaking things. People are rioting. And we're having all the usual editorials about how to be black is to walk around in fear of the cops and how, you know, Minnesota of all places has a problem with race, et cetera. And it's just not real. And the reason that I'm mentioning this now is because we're on kind of a year anniversary. It was about a year ago. If you talk about spring and I think actually the month of April or May that we first had a conversation about. Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, where things took a turn. I think our audience really jumped. It seemed to strike a chord with a certain number of listeners or watchers that we were trying to address the George Floyd, George Floyd thing squarely. And I asked at the time, and I genuinely didn't know. This is just a year ago. I said, would it have happened if he were white? And I made up Nils Olson, this white person. And it turns out that Tony Timpa is that person. I didn't know. I heard from you know people who heard me ask. Now I have tried to spread his name as far and wide as I can. But the truth was that there had been a white George Floyd. And we tried to talk about this sort of thing. And here we are now. Can I just say something? I, I want to make sure Peter Moskos gets credit, the criminologist yes. at the City University of New York's uh, John Jay College of Criminal Justice, because he's the guy that brought that to my attention, who brought it to your attention and had a chronicle, not just of Tony Temple, but of many other cases. I mean, for every, you know, um, Tamir Rice, for every guy shot in a Walmart holding a, a weapon or whatever that's unloaded because, you know, there's a white guy that had the same fate, et cetera. I just want to make sure Peter got credit for that. Very important. Yes. Peter, Peter and I have become friends, actually. And I just... This is what bothers me about all of this. What you and I are talking about now is is simple fact. And what I say in the Substack, as I've said several times in writing now, is that, yes, black people are killed two and a half times more than our representation in the population. But black people are also two and a half times more likely to be poor. And being poor attracts the cops to you. That's not fair, but it's also true. And yet here we are a year later. And it's clear that 
the way the national conversation goes is such that facts like that are simply not allowed in the conversation. People read these things and ignore them. People read those things and say something against them that doesn't really make any sense. It's just considered to be unsayable outside of certain circles. And I'm not saying that I'm censored. I can say whatever I want. Fine. But it's not the way respectable people are allowed to talk about this sort of thing. People just have their ears closed. And that, to me, is evidence of a conversation that's very, very fake. And so if I just say, no, to be black is not to have to worry more about the cops. No, it's just not true. Is considered heretical. It's treated as heresy. It's not treated as a fact that's refutable. It's just heresy. I'm disgusted with this because it's at the point where that is the main aspect of race that we talk about. And it's all just a fake conversation. And I say in the Substack piece, I'm, I'm done. Very simply, I just say, Anytime now that you hear about cops killing a black person, it's a horrible thing. Remember that that happened to a white person, too, and almost certainly more than one. And just have it as a mental exercise. Think, would a cop not do that to a white person? And the truth is, all you have to do is look in the Washington Post database, and you'll see that cops have done that to a white person, where brutally, brutally, the media just never said anything about it beyond wherever they live. You just don't hear about it. And so you have these poor people walking around thinking that the cops are always killing black men, sobbing in the streets, including the relatives of people who get killed like this, which is a terrible thing, who genuinely aren't aware that it happens to people named Dylan, too, because the news never mentions it. I think this is such a tragedy of our national conversation about something as important as race. It's just broken. It's fake. It's broken. And it's it's immoral at this point. How do you feel about this? I, I want to get your reaction to a couple of thoughts I have here. I don't think your critique goes nearly far enough. First of all, it's not poverty. It's criminality. It's not poverty. It is true, statistically, that you see more trouble with the police amongst poor people than not. But there are poor communities in which you don't see this. Uh, it is criminality. It is the behavior of people that calls the attention of the police. That's point number one. Point number two, it's not only coming into contact with the police, it's resisting the police. In other words, it's behavior conditional on contacting the police. If you comply with the police directives, you don't get killed. If you don't run, you don't get chased. If you don't resist arrest, you don't have to be restrained. So the conversation is fake at a much deeper level than what you suggest. We, we're not actually even coming to terms with the ultimate root causes of what's going on, which are ascribed to racism, but which in fact are the vastly disproportionate overrepresentation of African-Americans amongst violent criminals and the disease of uh, leading people to believe that they can resist the police officer in those uh, circumstances in which they come into contact with police without consequence. That was point number one. Point number two is why a fake conversation? Because the media abet it and flourish in the context of it. And because demagogues have a financial and a political interest in fostering it. Demagogues, Maxine Waters, 
traveled from Washington, D.C. to Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, in order to inspire crowds to resist, 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 because if a police officer isn't convicted, we're going to be mad as hell and we're going to burn this motherfucker down. That's not a quote, but that's what she was doing. A member of Congress. Now, suppose a Republican pro-Trump person in the context of a disputed election had done something similar. We know what the narrative would be. I am unable to find any commentary anywhere in the press except right-wing sources critical of Maxine Waters' demagogic incitement of violence. Finally, mobs around courthouses are a catastrophe and and, and, uh, an affront to all of our rights, including Derek Chauvin's. Mobs around courthouses demanding that defendants be convicted, irrespective of the evidence, because we all saw the video, are contemptible and they deserve to be denounced. The former president of the United States, Barack Hussein Obama, refuses to say the simple words, let justice prevail here, it's the jury's call. Refuses to say, don't resist the cops and you won't end up in a violent confrontation with them. Instead says, we have to rethink policing from the ground up, okay? So the aberrant behavior of a relatively few vicious criminals who end up resisting the police officers and finding themselves in trouble is about to cause this country to descend into riotous and arsonous mayhem. And the organs of responsible journalism refuse to simply say, The cops are doing their job and they're mainly in the right. The cops are mainly in the right. No, they're not perfect, but they are also not the problem here. Yeah. We have a very sophisticated conversation about this in a way, because the idea is you should be able to sustainedly resist arrest without being killed. And I understand where that's coming from. The cops could definitely do better on that. I don't know if you would agree with that, but there is an issue there. However, it's telling that no one says stop resisting. And the reason that we're not supposed to say stop resisting is because that seems like it's giving in to the man. So we're not going to, you know, actually comply with what these people are imposing because it's the white supremacist system. So, no, it's the system that has to change. So you don't say resist. It's kind of like with the voting laws where the idea is to say, and I agree with this in principle, stop, you know, coming up with these, you know, made up, made up notions. Boy, I've caught a lot for saying that here. But to be honest, folks, I haven't seen anything to contradict my basic sense that there is a nasty pragmatism involved here rather than fighting a real anything that would be considered an actual problem under other circumstances. I'm sorry. I've, I've read, I've listened to you. I just don't see it. And I'm not being religiously resistant. Yes, you change that. But then too few people seem to say black people just get IDs, which I have said too. be that you fight against it by just saying everybody get a goddamn ID, but that's not talked about as much because the idea is that you have to, you have to address the racism. Okay. So that's what this is. So we're, we're not supposed to say, wow, Dante Wright would have been better off if he had just stayed outside of the car. We're just not supposed to talk about that. Yes, that is, um, that's a problem because a lot of these people would be alive if they didn't resist. Yeah. 
Dante Wright is supposed to have been killed because he had an air freshener dangling from his rearview mirror. He's supposed to have been killed because he had a minor warrant outstanding for his arrest for a serious charge. Um, and the implication is we're over-policing. He shouldn't have been pulled over because his tags were expired. This only happens to Black people. The cops are patrolling the communities, looking to inflict, et cetera, on Black people. It is not just phony. It's a lie. This, these things are lies. They are intentional distortions. Where is the media? Where is the press? Uh, th- this uh, social justice journalism debases the currency uh, and actually abets the mayhem. Uh, you're going to hear about the Capitol insurrection riot of January 6th again and again and again in the weeks ahead because, God help us, if the jury inside that courthouse doesn't come to the decision that the mob wants, then there are going to be people who will say, of course they're going to loot. There are going to be people who will say, you mean to say black lives don't matter as much as property? There are people who are going to say, of course they will throw projectiles at police officers because they're angry. Some of them are members of the United States Congress. And they're going to say this. So we're in deep doo-doo here, man. This is, this is not just an intellectual cul-de-sac or somehow an ethical or moral mistake. This is political disaster that we're flirting with. And it needs to be opposed, not just by people like us who have essentially zero influence, but by the people who command the heights of the Americans' public's attention, political, journalistic, entertainment. I mean, the narrative here is completely off. I'm going to repeat myself. Criminality, violent criminality is at the root of this issue. And Blacks' vast overrepresentation amongst those committing violent criminal offenses lies at the root of this issue. Now, we could go into why that is, but God damn it, the cops did not cause it. You want to talk about the family? You want to talk about values? You want to talk about hip-hop culture? You, you want to talk about... Uh, victimized uh, uh, mentality where everything gets interpreted through a lens of my ancestors were enslaved. You want to talk about the lack of responsibility in this community? Why is a 13-year-old walking on the streets of Chicago at 2 a.m. with a pistol? You think the cops caused that? The root of this problem is a failure of the social development of African-Americans, which reflects pathological deficiencies in some part of this culture. The cops didn't cause it, and white supremacy didn't cause it either. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, I would steer away from that word pathological because it's code in some circles. There are people who are going to hear you say that, and they're going to say that you're saying there's something almost genetically wrong with Black people, and they enjoy policing thought for somebody who says something like that and they're going to shout it so i wouldn't use that word but other than that yes and i am so disappointed at this point more than i've been in a very long time it's funny how we're supposed to apply our intelligence and so for example it's clear from studies that the cops tend to be meaner to 
black people. That's been that's been shown that you know black people are more likely to be pushed up against a wall, spoken to in a certain way. That's just that's clear. And something I would also add to what you just said is that there is the very important study that shows that black people are pulled over less after the sun goes down, that there does seem to be a certain bias, at least in some regions, against black people in terms of who you're going to pull over, probably subconscious, maybe not. That is there. That that That's there. But it's also clear from just looking at the numbers that the cops do not kill black people in disproportionate numbers. And, you know, on the one hand, I think people find it very easy to imagine bigotry would make you kill in a tense moment. On the other hand, I find it equally easy to imagine that killing somebody is such a big deal that whatever your subconscious bias is, even if you've got a gun, that that's the last place you're going to go, even in a tense situation, unless you're absolutely desperate. I can see the humanity of white people enough to see that as plausible. I guess that makes me a little old fashioned, a little Martin Luther King. But yeah, I can imagine that you might be more likely to call somebody a nigger, push them up against the wall, same things, single them out on a drug search because you kind of think black people are more likely to have drugs in their car. Even they're not. But then when it comes to pulling the trigger and taking them out of this world problem, no, it might not go that far. And that is exactly what the data show. And yet we are not to say anything about it. You are not to talk about it. We're supposed to predicate all of these actions and editorials and statements and things that we tell our kids based on something that isn't true. While in the meantime, we're supposed to do this very sophisticated mental work of understanding how all white people are complicit in something called white supremacy and must work to battle it, even though the white supremacy, according to this paradigm, never really changes. We have to wrap our head around that racism is systemic. We've got to do the work, do the work. But when it comes to this issue of the cops and black people, suddenly everything is simple. Suddenly, it's just that the cops keep killing black people because slavery, Jim Crow, redlining. And that's all we're supposed to do. We're being required to be stupid. And damn it, Glenn, I, the nineties, when I started thinking, I thought everything was getting better since the sixties. And my ears seem to think that we still live in 1940. Why? And I'm not inclined to say that everybody's just crazy. And I was thinking, what is it that makes these people exaggerate the way they do? And it was the cops. I've known this since the late nineties. It's what it's it, the OJ thing that explains all of that. And here we are. I wrote in Losing the Race. I wrote, you know, all these things that people are talking about, the church burnings, the wage gap, all of it is exaggerated, except the cops. People tend to know that. I said, yeah, the cops is still a problem, but it doesn't justify the tenor of the way people are talking. But that's what I thought. Then I talked to you in 2016, and I said, come on, Glenn, it's clear that there's a cop problem. What's the list of white people who get killed? And you told me. That was the most iconic moment I've ever had with you. That's when I learned about Peter Moscow's. Now, here we are five years later. And I get the feeling, Glenn, that there's nothing to be done. I get the feeling it's part of being an intelligent American to be fake about race and the cops. Nothing we say will help. And we're just two people, but the facts are in black and white, so to speak. And it is the job of the good reading American to pretend that we didn't say anything. And so I'm almost done. You can be quite sure. For example, you know, we've got these professional haters. We've got these hate watchers who sit and watch us for a whole hour. They watch every one of our shows and then they go on social media and talk about what jackasses we are. Guys, get a hobby. Do you realize that you can have ever had a hamster? Have you ever bred aquarium fish? Have you ever built a ship in a bottle? Have you ever tried to teach yourself Hungarian? You Kayaking, something, get something else to do. But the thing is what they're doing, they're spraying for heresy. They do have a hobby. 
They are showing that we are Galileo. They have to show the public what idiots we are. And nevertheless, they will never say anything about what Coleman has written, about what I have written, about what Peter has written, about what you have written. All the facts, all the statistics as if we've never said anything. We're just jackasses. And the cops are all about killing black people and boo, hoo, hoo. As if we never said anything, as if there's no other way to look at it. There's an utter numbness blindness on this topic and i've noticed that it's been this way for 30 years you've seen it longer this isn't going to change is it i think we just have to just have to deal with it there's going to be this myth about black people and the cops for at least 50 years it it looks like that's the way it's going to be well i don't know what to say in response to that john uh I'm I'm inured to the uh, the haters. I I really am. I, I I see it just like you do, and it just rolls off of my back. I know what I'm about. I know I'm not that guy that they think I am. So, so I'm good. I think the stakes are just tremendously high for the country. Uh, so even if it re- were to redound in my excommunication from certain uh, social circles of co-racialists and and my caricature you know, uh, you know, be becoming a, a poster boy for a certain kind of Uncle Tom-ism. Um, I can live with that because I think the stakes here are are enormously high. The stakes are also high for, for Black people. I mean, as you know, there's been an upsurge in violent crime in Black communities, even as this uh, racial awakening with America's racism uh, has been unfolding. Um, <laughs> How many blacks are killed by the cops, uh, unarmed uh, African Americans? Uh, it, it's you know, a dozen, two dozen in a given year. You got eight thousand homicides uh, with black victims in this country uh, in a given year. There are areas of American uh, society that are absolutely unlivable because of the pre- uh, depredations of, you know, carjackers and muggers and. Uh, uh, Teenagers carrying guns in the middle of the street at 1 a.m. in the morning and whatnot, terrorizing people. Well, the cops become the enemy. The, the cops become this, um, uh, uh, you know, cartoon uh, representation. They're, they're all stormtroopers, over-militarized, preying upon people. It's a complete lie. Um, how could this change if serious people like the former president of the United States and the first black person to have been elected to that office or the current sitting vice president of the United States and the first black person to have been elected to that office were to use their enormous influence on behalf of the country in the face of this madness, perhaps were the editors of major organs It doesn't require that all of them, but a few of them, like the magazine that you write for um, or the newspaper that is the paper of record in your hometown or the foundations that anoint the cultural iconic figures of our time uh, to broaden their perspective beyond the virtue signaling and the bandwagon jumping that characterizes their behavior and actually just engage with all of the nuance of the problem. Black lives matter, black lives matter, black lives matter. 8,000 homicides? 
go unmentioned in the context of the evocation of the value of black life? So, uh, you know, y'all can call me whatever you want to. I don't care. It's time to tell the truth as best we can understand it. That's what we are getting paid for here. That's what the great privilege of having a microphone, I think, requires of us. You think I'm wrong? Prove me wrong. Let's have an argument. But calling me a name is not going to phase me. I find the names um, just interesting. Yeah, I mean, you get used to it after a while, but it's just the twisted mentality, I have to put it that way, of people on this particular issue. And so, for example, the 8,000, their response to that is, oh, yeah, that too. As if that makes any moral sense. Oh, yeah, that too. I'm upset about that too. But they don't say anything about that on a regular basis. They're clearly not as upset about it. They think that somehow if a black person gets killed by another black person, it's not as bad as if they get killed by a white person, especially a cop. It's not as bad, even in those numbers. So they'll say that too, but they had to be made to say it, and they never say anything about it again. And unless they see someone else talking about it, and they get into these Talmudic discussions about how you're not supposed to talk about black on black murders. And none of that makes any logical sense. Any naive person coming into our society and watching these strictures on the way we talk about these things would be mystified. It would be like listening to theologians in the 1200s in France. You'd have to really learn what each term meant, why certain things weren't being talked about. It's truly barbaric, the lack of concern with human life that this entails. And it's not that there aren't take back the hood, stop the violence marches. Yes, there are. But the fact that we talk so much more about what happened to, for example, poor Dante Wright, that that's considered more important. Anybody who says that it isn't is bullshitting. If it isn't considered more important, then why is it talked about so much more? Isn't that the definition of something being considered more important that you talk about it more? It's talked about more. Is the cop who makes a mistake or even the asshole murderous cop, that's more important. It's a dereliction of what a moral society is supposed to be and to insist on this. And you think that it's because people have something invested. We always run aground on this one. So Maxine Waters, I think she doesn't have anything invested, especially at her age. She's been around a long time. She doesn't have a career to build. I heard her and I was thinking, wow, she's still in that same place. I think that she is deaf to hearing other ways of looking at it. It's not that she refuses to change her mind. It's that, Well, no, it is that she refuses to change her mind. She can't listen to any view other than that the cops are these murderous thugs, partly because she's old enough that she knew in L.A. where they were. That is what it was like until a certain point. But then also because she's built a whole identity. It's not a career. It's her black identity around this sense of victimhood and protecting other black people from being victimized. I don't think that she's it's not a cynical careerist move. It's that she can't hear anything else. And I don't mean to dial on her in particular, but I know what you mean. I was listening to her and I was thinking, wow, this isn't, this isn't constructive. And it's as if she can't even consider how many white people this sort of thing happens to. And, you know, maybe she doesn't read Quillette or something like that, but an awful <laughs> lot of people do. And yet just 
won't listen. One of my favorite things was when I wrote a thing in Quillette and some of the stuff on Twitter was, well, anything that they publish, I'm just not going to listen to because such and such right there. As if that's a current answer. And the person who writes this, often somebody with a PhD, like that's, that's the best you can come up with reasoning. It's that they suspend their reasoning when it comes to black people being victimized because it's become a badge of morality to cry for us. But wow, when it comes to things as fake as this or what is clearly about to happen, I hope I'm wrong, but you know, Derek Chauvin is going to be, is going to be acquitted and everybody is just going to go out of their mind. And the way the media is going to cover it beyond weirdos like us is that it's justified because George Floyd died because he was a black man. And it just isn't true. It's just not true. And yet I have been thinking over the past week how somebody like us can move graciously and be constructive in an America where on this point, Nobody's going to budge beyond our heterodox circle. Tell me about it, man. I'd love to be constructive. Tell me. There's nothing to be done, so we have to move on. There are minds that will not change. And yes, I'm frustrated this week. I've just been thinking nothing on this particular question ever budges. We're just stuck. It's so fake. Such a fake thing. All right. Well, my, my larger analysis, which you will probably reject, John, is that basically we have achieved equality of opportunity in the country in terms of race. Basically, we have chased away the Jim Crow bugaboo. We have not just laws on the book, but widespread social custom and practice and norm that have moved so far away from 1960 that it's not even funny. I mean, the Democrats are reduced to calling the Georgia uh, voters uh, integrity law racist and Jim Crow because there is no Jim Crow anywhere in sight. It, it's all just a banner waving, sloganeering. It, it, it doesn't actually touch the ground in terms of anything that's real. And these words, this is Orwell, this is George Orwell. These words become meaningless after a while. They, they just become slogans. They don't mean anything whatsoever. But what we've got here, now we're a quarter into the, the fifth, into the 21st century. The world is so fast moving, it's not even funny. Have you heard of China? Do you know what's going on in the world? It's being remade every decade by technology and by globalization, by communication, by innovation. My God. Um, so, so we black people with full citizenship and freedom and every opportunity in the richest country on most dynamic country on the planet, attracting the attention of people globally who want to be a part of it, and we have birthright citizenship here, are failing to measure up. The cops and crime and violence is one dimension of it. The absolute disorder and chaos in our family lives is another dimension of it. The failure to develop our intellectual potential so that we can perform and function effectively is another dimension of it. We have no place to hide from the future. It's coming willy-nilly. All we can do is go into a corner and throw a tantrum. And sadly, our leaders, including Barack Hussein Obama, are at the forefront of this disastrous course. The people who might actually alter the course lack the courage to do so. They jump on bandwagons, they sloganeer, and they virtue signal because they're playing a game. 
The, the people who are going to pay the cost of this are the black poor. They're the ones who can't read. They're the ones who are languishing in a jail somewhere because of their behavior. So I'm just absolutely furious with these people, their irresponsibility, their demagoguery, their cowardness. I'm furious with them, and they are leading us to hell. We're on the road to hell here. You know, it's this redneck Tom Sowell point that I tend to avoid because I don't know what to do with it, which is in the black community, there is a value placed on being a badass motherfucker. Some of this is that a critical mass of people salute these men for the resistance. The idea being that that's the black thing. You don't put up with any shit. I don't know what to do with that. Um, does it come from hillbilly culture? Probably. Do Are there cultural differences among people? Yes. And that clearly is an element in the water in black culture. Crazy motherfucker. Okay. You know, Richard Pryor in the benign sense. But then it comes out with this business of resisting arrest and people saluting it as an, an indication of your masculinity, that you're you're kind of saluting black oppression in the past. Are we supposed to say that black men need to get over that? And then the question is, would there be a point? It's kind of like saying that people need to stop using the N word as a term of affection. You know, you can have a, you can have a nice panel about it, but it's not when I was talking to a black audience in DC. And I was suggesting that, you know, this business of going to pieces every time somebody uses the N word, one way that we might get past that is to just stop going to pieces and have the pride to understand that some word cannot make us cry. <laughs> and it wasn't a tough session, but one black guy said, well, I hear what you're saying, brother, but you know, I'm a tough motherfucker. I like to get up and get angry. And he stood up and the whole room starts clapping, especially the women. And I get it. I like, I, I understand the humor. I understand the cultural strain. You know, I'm not that deracialized. But the other side of that is something like Ahmaud Arbery trying to take the gun or I I won't I, I've already said it. Dante Wright trying to jump into the car instead of just standing there and taking what he was about to be given. I, I, he shouldn't have been killed, but still. And if we're just if we're, if the idea is going to be it's the proper black thing to resist and how dare you kill somebody when they do it. There's just nowhere to go from there. And yet I can tell part of it is. The idea that to be a soul, to be, to resist arrest is to be a soldier. That that's what somebody with balls does. That's the black thing to do. He's not some namby pamby white guy who just says, yes, officer. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know whether there's any point in saying that something should change. I'm not a badass motherfucker, clearly. And so I'm certainly not the one who's going to say, stop acting like one. I don't know what to do with it, but clearly it's part of it. It's the black guy's thing to resist. Well, John, I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm working on the memoir. I really am, John. I'm trying to catch up with you. Maybe if my book sells more than the sum of your books have sold, I will feel like I have pulled even with you. I'm praying. <laughs> I'm praying. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I am in the grips of writing the, the memoir. So here's one thing that I've discovered about myself. And this is by way of uh, supporting what you just said about badass motherfuckers. So in the 1980s, I got into trouble with cocaine. 
I got into trouble with an extramarital affair. I was in the habits of roaming the streets of inner city Boston, Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan, buying drugs, hooking up, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. The most benign of it was playing chess until three o'clock in the morning on the street corner with a guy called Eddie, uh, who uh, used to make his living by selling little trinkets off of a tabletop in front of a Korean greasy spoon. Me and Eddie were buddies and he loved to play chess. He loved to play five minute chess and we'd get out there and we'd play. But that was the most benign of it. I was hanging in the hood with my peeps. I'm a professor at Harvard hanging in the, you know, 35 years old, hanging in the hoods with my peeps, 37 years old, 40 years old, hanging in the hood with my peeps because I was a badass motherfucker because I could negotiate a seminar room over in Cambridge at the Kennedy School of Government on by day and a housing project where just about anything you wanted could be purchased for a price by night. And no one was the wiser. I was a badass motherfucker. I was like Superman. I would go into that telephone booth and I put on my uniform, <laughs> cock my hat to the side, pull my collar up, get my walk together, get my slang, my cold switching thing. You know how it is. And I could hang. I could hang. I was authentically black. John, you wrote a book with that title. I was authentically black because I could hang in the hood. Now, how fucked up was that? Okay, that's that's why y'all need to buy the memoir. W.W. Norton and Company, spring of 2022. (laughs) How messed up was that? So I am familiar with the syndrome. All right. I I know what you're talking about. It's a disaster is what I have to report from my own experience. It is an absolute. Suppose I had been gunned down. I was robbed several times at gunpoint in these years over there on the streets of Boston. Suppose I had lost my life to some trigger-happy, coked-up idiot trying to get the $20 out of my pocket. It could have easily happened. What a tragedy that would have been. What a waste that would have been, right? So important to me was my sense of continuity with my life from Chicago in the 1950s and the 1960s, that once I had become a tenured professor at Harvard, indeed the first African-American to hold the position of tenured professor of economics in that university's history. I was willing to throw it all away just to have the internal sense of authenticity that came from being a badass motherfucker. Now, here's what I'm here to to tell you. It is a deep and profound problem in our culture. I'm talking about African-Americans, this tendency. It should be opposed. It should be renounced. It should be denounced. It should be called out for what it is. There's no glory in it. You think this is politics? You think you're representing the angst of your enslaved ancestors? This is idiocy. It's infantile. It's a mistake. And yet, see, this stuff is so hard. Orlando Patterson talks about this as the cool good friend. And he's he's right. And I have seen you know, self-appointed, you know, guardians of the race saying that he's just making all that up. You know, the, the strategy is that, well, it's more complicated than that. But of course, nobody ever explains the nature of the complexity. But obviously, there's that's there. And it's not as if black men in the United States started in the century are the only people who became dominated by that 
idea. You can see that in the history of many people, including the Irish, including Italians. You can see it in people other than black people today. Good point. But it is a problem. And I find it highly likely that an awful lot of black people deep down like it. it. They think of it as swagger. They think of it as our way of dealing with a bad hand. And unfortunately, that thing gets a lot of people killed. And that kind of person hears me say that and they jump and say, the person didn't deserve to die. We agree, folks. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm human. I know the person shouldn't have died. But the point is, if only he hadn't resisted, he would still be alive. But there's no room for that point. We are in such a fucked up place here in 2021 about race. Worse in many ways than it's ever been because so much of this stuff is based on lies and self-indulgence masquerading as science and morality. And I am genuinely frustrated this month in particular, because it's beginning to be clear to me that we can call this a conversation. And we're, we're heard, and we're not being muzzled. It's not that anybody's keeping us from saying what we're saying, not, not, nothing of the sort. But we're, what we're saying is always going to be kind of a minority taste. We're heterodox. It's not going to be what the people out there are thinking. It's not going to stop these street protests based on a lie. Maybe that's as good as it gets. Maybe we're expecting too much. We are heard, and I'm very gratified by it, by a great many people, and it is not just white conservatives. That Every time you have this mob out on the street and New York Times writing the usual piece, I just think to myself, this is never going to change. It hasn't changed since Rodney King, and here we are. Rodney King certainly didn't that. That was a travesty. But it hasn't changed since the early 90s. And I think we just have to be satisfied with it being the way it is here. But sometimes I just wonder, we heterodox people sitting around and clinking glasses and knowing that we're right doesn't serve the purpose of the purposes of the community. And if these riots are going to keep happening, the fact that you and me and Coleman and people like that can go have dinner somewhere and tell our war stories, it doesn't help anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm improvising here, but just what is the point of this public intellectual post? I sometimes wonder. And I think I'm just getting a little impatient. Things happen slowly. But in this case, I'm not sure the needle is budging at all. About last spring, George Floyd, and think about now. I don't know that anything's budged except that you are heard by a few more people. And I'm so happy that we're being heard, but still, maybe I just need to be more patient. Well, you know, I share your pessimism. I've said it here many times. I think we can only, the only thing we can do is tell the truth as best we understand it. I mean, we, we are not in positions of power or influence in terms of control of the major organs or of the political uh, agenda. Um, and, you know, I think you have to hope that the cumulative effect of a lot of different testimonies that are as uh, respectful of the truth as people understand it can win out in the end, but I'm, I'm very pessimistic about it. And you, you say you think that Chauvin might well be acquitted. I don't know. I haven't followed the trial super closely. I, I do read the news reports. Uh, I gather the closing arguments are being offered perhaps even as we speak. 
the jury will deliberate as long as it deliberates and then a verdict will come out. My guess would be that they'll find a way of convicting him of something. Uh, but, but it won't then, be considered enough. The question right. will be, will it be considered to be enough? Uh, cooler heads should prevail. People should be told not to riot and loot. I, If the summer of 2020 is any guide, I certainly don't count on that message coming from the major organs of cultural influence who will report about mostly peaceful protests and will basically join the bandwagon of uh, university presidents, newspaper editors, and uh, CNN commentators to the effect that, you know, um, I saw Van Jones on uh, on Chris Cuomo's program the other night saying, you know, it'll be open season on Black people if Derek Chauvin doesn't go down in this trial. And I thought, how profoundly irresponsible of you to say that, uh, you know, my gosh, uh, just to flip the script on that for a minute, imagine Black defendants sitting in a courthouse somewhere who've committed some heinous crime. They happen. Suppose the victims are white. Suppose you had uh, a Rush Limbaugh type out there uh, broadcasting, if they don't get 50 years, we ought to burn this motherfucker down. These black criminals, blah, 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 blah. We're not so far from that, man. You think the uh, typical uh, working class white American who might or might not have voted for Donald Trump is buying this bullshit that the Maxine Waters of the world is spewing? They are not. They are biding their time, biting their tongues, and keeping their powder dry. But they know it's a fraud. They know that if you want to go from suburban in the inner city, St. Louis, you'd better do it while the sun is still in the sky. They know who the threats to them are on the streets of American cities. They know that the cops, by and large, are doing an impossible job as best that they can. Some of them are their friends. Some of them are their uh, relatives. You think that they're buying this uh, uh, woke uh, racial line? The resentments continue to smolder. There are a million Jody Shaws. This is the employee at Smith College who has become a small cultural phenomenon for speaking out against wokeness as it has been visited upon her. How many people sit through these diversity training things and come out of there smoldering with anger, which they won't express? How many parents are pulling their children from high-end private schools like the one that uh, Barry Weiss featured in her Substack column recently, Mm -hmm. uh, saying that the school has lost its way as it has drunk this Kool-Aid and then wants to inflict it upon our children? Now, that guy's probably a liberal New York uh, hedge fund manager or something like that. What do you think a gas station attendant in a small town in upstate New York is thinking? (laughs) Chickens will come home to roost here. People are playing with fire when they racialize the crime discussion in this country because of the vast overrepresentation of African-Americans amongst the violent criminals inflicting mayhem upon their fellows. That's just a fact. You can hide from it all you want to. You can excuse it. The arguments people are making are ridiculous. So if I say black on black crime, 8,000 black people murdered, they say, well, all murder is within race. And they ignore the fact that blacks are 10% of the population and half of the homicide victims. Of course, all murders are within race. You don't kill people that you don't know, by and large. You kill people that you know, that you have conflicts with, by and large. So they are interracial, but it's irrelevant. That was not a refutation of my observation that 8,000 people are being killed. And then they're smug and they cross their arms across their chest and they think they got you. 
These are stupid arguments. And the stupidity of them, the venality of them, the banality of them will not go unnoticed by a great many Americans. Chickens will come home to roost. You think Donald Trump is the end of it? You think that by calling him and his voters racist, you have uh, vanquished this concern, backlash that I'm talking about uh, from the political scene? You have not. You're not winning. Chickens will come home to roost here. You racialize a crime discussion in America when blacks are so vastly overrepresented amongst the criminals? Why would you do that? You think you can talk only about white cops and not about black criminals? You can't. You can on the editorial pages in the New York Times. That's true. They'll tell you that looting is an American as apple pie. But in the real America, these people are not fools. They can see what's going on. So we just have to keep doing what we're doing, in my opinion, um, and uh, hope for the best. Glenn, I hope what you're talking about doesn't come true because there be a copycat phenomenon. Once one thing like that happened, and some people are saying Dylan Roof, yeah, that's true, but it didn't inspire copycats. <laughs> but something like that could happen, then somebody else does it, then somebody else does it. And it would be constructive in any sense, because, of course, what the usual suspects would say is this is the racism that has been you know, present since America's founding. Here is it. You can just imagine the Charles Blow editorial. Nobody yeah, would say, told. well, the reason for all of this is that people got tired of being lied to and manipulated about something that was more complicated than was being said. Nobody would want to admit that beyond our little circles. It would just be here is racism in full flower. Some people would even say they prefer it, you know, despite the fact that it would involve people being murdered. I hope that doesn't happen because it wouldn't, it would lead to nothing but more mayhem and it would only reinforce the lies. God, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm almost surprised it hasn't. And I shouldn't say it, especially given what's been in the news lately, but wow. Yeah. I hope not. I really hope not. It would only make it worse. Well, it would not create any kind of reckoning. I, I, we're in complete agreement about that. I, <laughs> I think a start might be to tell the mobs in front of the courthouse to go home, to, to, to not feed them, to not fuel that thing like Van Jones and Charles Blow and Maxine Waters and Barack Obama are doing, amongst many, many others. Tell the mobs in front of the courthouses to go home. We got this. The American constitutional order has got this. We can trust the outcome of the deliberative processes of our legal institutions. We got this. They are not the embodiment of white supremacy. It's okay. We are no longer in the 19th century. Chill. Black people are basically equal citizens of the greatest republic in the history of the planet. Now, let us man up to our responsibilities as citizens rather than bellyaching about every little microaggressive inconvenience. Never. <laughs> Never. And that's the problem. What you just said will be considered heresy until we are both not alive and beyond. Well, God help us then, help us, the United States of America, because if riots break out across this country again in the spring and summer of 2021, as they did last year, we'll be on a slippery slope to hell. I'm talking about the American 
republic. That's how high the stakes are here. Yeah, and it's getting warmer. And just like a year ago, as it got warmer, people were subconsciously itching for a reason to get outside and spend time with each other. This time, as you know, we go past the halfway point on vaccinations, and it becomes actually medically and morally permissible to actually start going outside, brings us back to the issue of the mask, et cetera. That'll be yet another impetus to get out and, and, and raise hell. With the same relief, the idea being finally, pandemic is beginning to be over, let's get out there and raise hell. And that's human in a sense, but yeah, this time it would be different. It, yeah, yeah, people have had enough. I hope that's not where it goes. <laughs> I think we should call it a conversation here, John. I'm yeah. coughed out here. I've ranted. I've ranted, notwithstanding the fact that I am a victim of COVID-19. I'm an <laughs> African-American victim of COVID-19. Don't you know about the racial disproportion of the way that the disease has afflicted us? That's, oh, yeah, that's a, we forgot. That's another that. dimension of white supremacy. Right. Remember when we mentioned that? We said, well, <laughs> there's going to be something racial about it and like, a day later is when those articles started. Not that there weren't certain things to be talked about, but it had to be connected to racism. Yeah. Systemic racism. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a pandemic afflicting the entire society and devastating people's lives. And the first thing we go to is the race card. <laughs> I was sitting at this table over on the other side of it. I remember mentioning it was a shoe that hadn't dropped. And I was saying, I'm, I'm waiting for there to be something. And it boom, it's like that night. Yep. And here we are. Anyway, I've got to run. Yeah. Yeah. And so All let's right, John. do this again in two weeks. I'm going to stop recording. We'll do it in two weeks. We have to catch up with our uh, Q&A responsibilities to our $10 patrons who get to ask us questions, which we answer on a monthly basis. And we haven't done it this month, the month of April. Uh, because uh, because I haven't been feeling that great, but we'll get around to it uh, in the next uh, week or 10 days. Definitely. Okay. So signing off for now, John, take care. You too, Glenn.